0: Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard, where I'm coming from. 15
1: years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And like, you know, what.
2: And especially for those students
1: um, that look like
2: me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people.
0: Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Alright, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. All right. Oh, Jesus, turn the music off again. I already snapped Phil. Anyway, I think this is episode nine. I'm not even sure, but this is a really special episode. We're going to introduce someone very special to us in a minute, but um, as we've done customarily over the last few episodes, I'll kind of give you a quick update. So Dean and Gerard, either of you two want to kind of give us an idea of what you've been doing the last week during this uh, different times.
1: Um, so I, I think I have maybe kind of complained kind of complained, I was getting raised a little bit, I've kind of complained a lot about (laughs) how difficult the, um, you know, the working from home has been, because I am the type of person who definitely needs the separation between work and um, home. And I think I've finally started to get this under control a little bit, which makes me feel good. And I have made my step goal with my Fitbit two days in a row. So I'm feeling really good about that.
0: You have a fit partner?
1: I don't. I don't. I tell you what, for a while there, um, Victor Smalls was like kicking my butt. Like, he was, <laughs> he, it, we all were kind of in one group, and there was like, there was like one person in our group who was like, you know, at some point in the day ended up with like 25,000 steps or something like that. I was like, I will never be able to do 25,000. If I do, my, my one foot will be so swollen, I won't be able to walk. But, um, I'm doing. I'm doing really well with that. So last two days have gone well. So I'm. I'm. I'm pretty excited about that.
0: Nice. Have you drawn anything last week or so? You got going on?
2: Just about the same. Getting into a groove here with schedule with the kids learning and the numerous things I have to do for my role. Um, but that's about it. And hunkering down and staying in the house.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, today was our first day of really rolling out this distance learning plan that we came up with, and um really proud of my staff today. They, they you know, We had some hiccups, we had some issues, but uh, overall, I couldn't have been happier with kind of the feedback that I got from them. I, I jumped in a couple of their meetings just to kind of touch base and get a temperature, but um am really, really proud of, of my staff today. So, nice. All right. Yeah, it was great. As mentioned before, we have a special guest tonight, our first guest ever. This is Dr. Newell from the bay the bay area um she teaches at a charter school in vallejo teaches second and third graders and i've heard her story how she got second graders we might get to at some point but she had a lot of uh different experiences getting up to that so she was this is her first year teaching uh k to 12 but she's been an educator her entire life she's an air force vet she was a clinical microbiologist and also a classically trained vocalist so Dr. Newell, Michelle, as I call you, welcome to the show. Uh, we are so excited to have you here. Um, I know we share with you in the pre-show just some things, but uh, tell us, how are you? How have you been the last week? And then maybe we'll get into what your commute looks like. How have you been? <laughs>
3: thanks, <laughs> thanks, Doug. You know, that commute is serious, but um, I'm doing all right. The last week was actually week three for my school doing um, distance learning, if you will. Okay yeah so so what does we're that look spring like? break? What does that look like in your school? Our distance learning well, yeah, we found like? out on the twelfth of March, no, the twelfth of March was a Thursday, and that was my kid's last day of the week. They were bragging about not having to come to school on Friday, you know, because we had professional development, and so um professional development day comes that Friday and we're sitting in there and I'm just thinking about all that I want to plan for the next week. And I'm wishing this, this meeting, hopefully it doesn't take too long, you know? And then they tell us we're not coming back. And I was like, wait, what? what? Yeah, we're not doing what? And so, um, to be honest, I don't know if y'all remember nine 11. Do you remember nine 11? Yeah. Do you remember like what you were doing and where you were? exactly
2: I, yeah. the exact spot that yeah. is
3: that is exactly how i feel about that moment when they told us that we were closing our doors at minimum for two weeks but most likely more that's how i felt so I, what, I, was your, what was your
0: first like thought did you, did you be like do i need to call on my parents do i need to go get my plan book do i need to get like what was your like first thought after like oh my gosh we're gonna be done for a while
3: my first know? thought was what's gonna happen to my kids yeah I guess I have kids who eat at school and and they may not eat again till they come back. You know what I'm saying? And when I say my kids, I need to explain that. I'm not just talking about my second and third graders, but I have kids at that school that are in middle school, you know, lower grades than mine. They just all kind of become your kids. And so right. that was my initial thought. What's going to happen to my kids? And what made me feel like I was definitely in the right place was when my directors or um, founders, when they immediately, they said, we will have a food program. Nobody asked any questions. And that was almost the first thing they said, we will maintain a food program, kind of like you do in the summer. And then you could feel everyone kind of go, and then a- after that, it was like, we're going to make packets, you know, to send home. You guys have the next couple of hours. And we were off to the races, you know, trying to make sure we had something to give them some sense of normalcy. Right?
0: So I'm going to go back to, I think that's awesome. I think that safety, you know, factor is definitely number one. And then once you've gotten, pe- you know, taken care of the safety part as far as feeding, but you said like your kids. So one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot and Gerard and Tina, by all means jumping know you guys have talked to Michelle as well is that this ownership over your students that you have. And I think that's important for all educators, but wh- why is it that those relationships that you build up, how number one, maybe how have you built up those relationships and then how does that translate into this time that we're in now where you haven't seen them? Like, I mean, if you've seen them zoom or whatever, but you haven't physically seen them in a couple of weeks. Like how does that transfer over?
3: Um, You know, I think it's hard to describe. It's hard for me to explain to others how these kids become my kids this has been the story of my life and and as i think back i remember when i was about i don't know i was a teenager in my late teens and i had a cousin who had a baby early she was about 15 or 16 when she had the baby and she used to always bring that crying baby to my mom like she'd bring her over there ring the doorbell leave the baby and Aww. and my mom my mom would say go down and get the baby and i got mad one day and i said why why do you allow her to do this? And she said, Michelle, we take care of kids. That's what we do. And, and to be honest with you, I can't give you a better explanation than the simple fact that we take care of kids. And so when there are children around all my life growing up, we've taken care of kids. It's just what you do. And so if they're around me, they're mine. You know what I mean? They're my responsibility.
0: And I think Dina, Gerard, and I, we've talked about that ownership. I mean, I say ownership, but I don't mean it like that, that, that like knack of wanting to have children around you and wanting to take care. It's, it's, it's paternal and maternal, but it's also, I think, more than that. It's just a passion for wanting to work with kids. So,
1: Well, and there's a, there's a very distinct difference sometimes when you hear people talk. And one of the things that I've just genuinely grown to appreciate about Michelle is that there's just a distinct um, approach with love that comes through when she talks about her students and, you know, it moves beyond, um, it moves beyond being kind and empathetic. You know, she really just does approach her students and like how to do her, her job and what's best for her kids with a lot of love. And I think that's something that, you know, um, uh, to some degree, I don't know that you can, you can do the kind of job that Michelle does without approaching it that way.
0: Yeah. And you can't fake it either. Right.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Michelle, what, you, what you're what you bringing to the table can't be taught and that's one of the things when you're interviewing and you're trying to find teachers. Um, interview questions won't, won't always let that shine through unless you really dig in and get to know the person.
3: Mm, that's true.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I mean, go ahead.
3: So now we're in this place, like you said, where we haven't been in school for three weeks and It hasn't been the easiest transition, but I think that the majority of our staff has tried to find a way that really aligns with who they are to reach out to their kids. Do you know what I'm saying? So when we found that out on Friday, I went in and started making packets. And I I really wanted to be strategic about how I made their packets because we were already given counsel, do not send home anything new we are not trying to overwhelm families. This is overwhelming enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they don't get anything new, but I wanted to give them the essentials to practice. And then I said, you know, well, I've got this one, she's going to need help and that one. And so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to zoom with my kids. So that weekend after my school put out the word, you know, I wanted to wait for them to do it. I started reaching out to families and I said, we will start zooming on Tuesday. Was and, um, that something
0: you had to do, or is that like a mandate, or something? You just no,
3: no, 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 no. No one forced us. I, I just needed to do that because first of all, I needed to see my kids. When they left me on Thursday, usually when they leave me for the weekend, I give them this whole long lecture. You know, <laughs> you <laughs> That's, know you
1: That's
3: right. You better not give your parents no problems, or you're gonna have problems with me. Do not make me come find you. You better act like you got good sense over this weekend. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Don't eat too much candy because I always give them candy at school. So I try to keep them from eating candy (laughs) when they're not at school.
0: That's funny.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Hey, Michelle, have you had any um, instances so far with the kids where, like you just said, like you give them that pep talk. But now when you're checking in with them, the parents are like, Dr. Newell, have a conversation with... Joe about this because he's doing this and that. Like, have they? Have you experienced any of that? Because I know oh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I know sometimes that we we have that mother and father feel where the parents like, okay, I'm trying to be the heavier, but they ain't listening. But wait till I tell Doctor Newell and then they're like tr- trying to figure out like, what's she going? What's she going to say to me?
3: Yeah, that happens all the time, to be honest. And and since we've been out, I did have a couple of parents actually reach out and say, you know this child of yours over here ain't trying to do their work. And I told them I was going to tell you. And they were like, no. I said, that's all right. I said, listen, give my kid. And I I talked to my parents like this. Give my kid a space of grace, especially right now. Because the truth of the matter is, this is traumatic. A lot of people don't recognize it as such. But it is a traumatic experience. They are on lockdown, shutdown in their homes. They have never been to this place before. And so I said, listen, I want you, don't even worry about it we're going to grade. I think we were grading. And when I say grading, I just mean we were going over the answers that they got and then we would celebrate whoever got them all, you know, whatever. But I told the parent, I said, let them know that on when whatever day, when we do our zoom, this is what we're going to do. They need to have at least that much done. Now at this point, they should have been through week one and week two, but they were just having a hard time. I said, don't worry about it. I'll talk to them when I see them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know this. This kind of leads me to a different place that I kind of want to interject right here because I hear it so often, especially in some of the groups that I'm in with educators, like on social media platforms, where they say, "You know, I work in a Title One school and the parents don't care." I hate that so much it, because I'm going to tell you what true. I know. Listen, what I know with certainty is that every one of my parents care about their ch- children. They care. And not only do they care about their children, but they get upset and frustrated when they feel like their child is going to let me down or is going to disappoint me. And so I have to be that buffer sometimes. And I do. I give the kids spaces of grace. And the parent is looking at me like, uh-uh, I called you so you could go off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but
0: so You bring up a lot of things there, right? So that first idea or that one idea about like the Title One parent not caring as much, I find that to be more the white educator is the one putting that sort of yes. thought out there. Yes. And as a, as a white person, I, can, I can't say that I can understand, but I know where that comes from. And unfortunately- it's this idea that you're, I mean, it's the white savior mentality and it's a topic that we wanted to talk about at some point in our podcast. We haven't gotten to it yet, but as white people, I think that we can feel less racist if we then interject ourselves and say, we're going to save this population of people. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, we can work in title one schools. But then on top of that, because white people would be whitening, we start <laughs> talking about how we're saving somebody or how someone isn't doing something that we should be doing. And, Again, I just fit in all the words in that one little segment that I always want to throw <laughs> <laughs> And I'm proud of myself being able to do that. But I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think white people really think of themselves sometimes as being that person that can come in and not only save the Title I student, but also then talk about them, you know, kind of behind their back or use them to prop themselves up. And it, it's disgusting yeah. to me. Really, it is.
3: Yeah. Well, if you've read um, Christopher Emden's book about, yeah. um, for I can't remember the exact title, Something about teaching in the hood. And then he said, and the rest of y'all too. Yeah. 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 Look, some black teachers are the rest of y'all too. It's not just white educators. I I work with people, and and when I say I work with people, I'm talking about in education, period. When even when I did post secondary education, even you know, teaching through the Air Force, there are some people who just feel like they know who cares based on how they would care or based on I'll give you an example that's really common. Because I, when I hear people talk crazy like that on social media, I go ahead and engage because I need you to explain <laughs> that to me. How do you know they don't care? First of all, why did you have to mention you were teaching at a Title I school, number one? Yeah, Secondly, I hate that. how is it that you know they don't care? Well, I had I set up a parent-teacher conference with them three months ago, and they never showed. Okay, did you ask for any input about what time they would be available? Yay or nay? Usually, no, you didn't. You set a schedule that was convenient for you at 2 30 for this parent that you know works till six or seven. And then when they don't show, they don't care. They don't care. And that's not true.
0: Or they don't pick up the phone right away.
3: Or, or, or they, they don't, don't return. I've got plenty of parents who don't return my call, but that doesn't mean they don't care about their child. I could tell you life is happening for them.
0: But they didn't sign They didn't sign their homework binder or whatever other excuse you hear. You know, it's like, oh, okay. I don't sign my kid's homework binder either. And I'm a white guy it's privileged. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
3: you don't care. <laughs> it's
1: a, well, and it's, but I think in order to have, in order to have gotten to this point, you also needed to have developed a relationship with your students' families. You yes. know, because like, you know, I have heard many things said over the years about, you know, how, parents don't care, what have you. And the the majority of my career, I've only ever worked in a Title I school. Um, And I've heard it all. Um, But you can't get a kid to any level of success unless you have the parents
3: as a partner in teaching that child. Right. That's true. You guys, when we had our, what do you call that? At the beginning of the year, it's kind of like open house, back to school night. They call it back to school night out here. I don't know if you guys do, back East. I haven't heard of back to school night till I came to the West Coast. But we um it open house, but yeah, yeah, open house. yeah, we called it open house back east too. So that night that we had um, back to school night, it was literally my first day as the um, teacher of record for these kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and at this time, it was a compl- it was just a third grade class. There weren't it, w- it wasn't a combo. And when I met the parents and I was going through the slideshow, I just told them straight up, like I subbed for this class yesterday. I knew that if they needed a, a sub the next day, I told my leaders that let me sub the next day. If they if they need a sub for a while, let me be the sub because what I noticed from how they were engaged, first of all, I just fell in love with those kids. Oh, you would have never paid me enough to believe that I would teach a third grade class. I came from teaching adults and I had intended to teach middle school science, but I found myself in this classroom, which is where I should have been just subbing. And so I said, hey, I'm available to, to cover this class if they need it. And then the job was offered to me right then to take the class. And so when we had that parent, I mean, that uh, back to school night, I just told them, like, this is the second day I've seen your children. Yeah. But already I have established something with them. And I needed those parents to know one thing. I told them the story about how I brought my sister here when she was 16. Okay. And she had gone through some things. I brought her here. And I let them know that her success right now and the success of my nephew that she was pregnant with when she came, it had very little to do with me and a whole lot more to do with the village that supported us. Yes. And so I am now a part of your child's village. I need parents to know that. I'm not here just because I like teaching. I could have stayed where I was for that. But I'm now a part of their village. And I think they took me up on that. And it's cultural for us to be that way. We are very village-oriented people. That's the truth. Yet, so we take care of everybody's friend. kids.
0: So for my white friends there that might be listening, what do you mean by we?
3: We, people of color, black okay. people. I just, just what makes people.
0: You, I just want to make sure you define that because I hear we sometimes and I'm like, oh, yeah, us teachers.
3: No. Yeah. White
0: people think all lives matter. So yeah. we need to be reminded that we in your when you're saying we means people of color. I just want to make sure I put that mm-hmm. out there.
3: Yeah. And and I will extend that to some of my Hispanic um friends and family members because they have that same um just cultural societal yes, concept. Yeah. And I've seen it and experienced it. So I can definitely speak to that. And oh, I've I yeah, love ahead. with
2: my I've always fallen in love with the Hispanic families because they do they do have that same similarities.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where when we met that day and we had that conversation, I feel like they took me up on it. When we started, we did, um what do you call it, student-led um, conferences. By the time we got to that student-led conference, parents were telling me things that really helped me to understand their child. And I was like, why did you wait so long to share that with me? You know, but I learned That they haven't always been able to trust their teachers in times past, which is sad because your child is with me six to eight hours a day, depending on if they stay after school and I'm there working, you know. So that's a sad place for us to be if a parent, you know, feels like, you know, I can't trust you with this information that could really help my child. Yeah.
0: And I think the system has created that. Dina, I don't know if you want to add anything to that or Gerard. I have one other follow-up question or something I kind of wanted to jump into with Michelle for a minute. But you guys go have ahead. anything? Go
2: ahead. No, go ahead. Right.
0: So Michelle and I have been talking for maybe like six to eight months on Voxer and different groups about all sorts of things educational and equity-wise. And this falls in line with what you just said about we – and I made a comment in one of our groups about two weeks ago, and I said something. It's something along the lines about a podcast that we were listening to together, um, called Eight Black Hands. And I, I was trying to exp- or understand where the the, the gentlemen were coming from with what they were saying. And I don't remember exactly what I said. And I should have gone back today and listened to my exact message. And Michelle, you kind of you know, you, you gently came at me and said. You don't, no matter how much you try to be, I think he even used the word woke, um, no matter how much you try to be woke and understand what's going on and try to be equitable and understand diversity and understand, you know, black culture or Hispanic culture or whatever kind of culture, you're never going to fully have the experience of um, of what it is that, that I or we have gone through. And I thought that, and, and I'm going to kind of leave it to you to kind of maybe take it further from there, but... It it definitely was another reminder to me, like there are definitely situations and places that I can be an ally and a co-conspirator in. And then there's sometimes where maybe I just need to sit back and watch and listen and take it in and then whatever. So I just definitely appreciate that conversation. You're honestly with me. Um, and I wish I should have gone back and listened to exactly what started off, but I, I
3: think I know. I think I remember, um, and I'm not sure exactly what his words were because I didn't listen to that part of the podcast. But there was something someone said. Um, some public figure it for the
0: team or something like that.
3: Say that again. It was public, like taking it for
0: the team. Like we had taken. Yeah, one for the team.
3: yeah. Some public figure has said, "Oh, it's time to get back to work. Right? right. It's time for us. You know, blah blah blah." And, and I said, we're, we're done putting our kids in harm's way, right? And, and here's the thing about the Black community when it comes to education. We've been shorthanded. Right. We've been shorthanded. We've always gotten the short end of the stick, if you will. And so if it means taking our kids out of school, shutting the schools down to keep our babies safe, we gon- we're going to do that. We're not interested in just going back for the um, economy's sake, we're not interested in opening up businesses, sending our kids back to school and getting America back where, where we're making money again, because none of that really profits us anything, really. I mean, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't. But we could be putting our kids at risk. And and so the reason why I I stood behind what I thought that podcast was saying in the sense of, you know, hey, we're creative, we're innovative. We have been making do with a crappy education system as far as our kids are concerned for so long. If they miss these next two months, we will be all right. Right. That that in my mind is what I heard um, based on what you were saying. But people of privilege, they're not used to that they're like, oh no, we've got to get back to school because I've got to get back to work. By golly, I cannot live like this. Well, we've been living like this and we're done with people snatching our babies out of our hands. We're done with people mm-hmm. injecting our kids with medicines. You know what I'm saying? We're over it. So we're not going to put our kids back out there. We will take this one.
2: It's ironic you said that because the school I work in, um, you know, blacks, we, we're the minority, but it was a, it was a black mom that was the first one before they even like two, three days before they even closed school that had been hit to the news and was like, told me and my principal, my kids ain't coming back with everything that's going on. And I don't think people really understood what she was saying, but she, she was, she was at least 72 hours ahead of every district in the state with her thinking. And then I want to say maybe two days later, that's when some other parents that weren't black parents started doing it. And then then, the, then we hit the next day, which was Friday, when we found out what the the deal was going to be for the next two weeks. But that goes into what you were saying. Like, nah, I'm just pulling my, and that's that was her terminology too. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling, I'm pulling my babies. Like, that's right. Like, I'm not, I'm not taking no chances with the, um, you know, international flights here and there coming into. Uh, she's like, I'm not taking no chances.
3: That's right. That's
2: right.
0: Yeah, and I, and you know, I think that's not again. You know, getting back, I, I don't know that the white community has that same sense of community like the black community or the Hispanic community or the Asian community, especially or the any other communities that are out there. I think that I, for whatever reason, I can't put my finger on it, and I can't explain it. And there, I'm sure there's pockets of of white people that are, you know would argue with me wholeheartedly, but I think as a general rule, I don't. And, and again, I don't want to speak for all white people, but. <laughs> I'm going to anyway right now because I'm the only fully white person in this group right now.
3: Um, <laughs> oh, that's messed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so that being the white representative in this group, I will say that I don't think that we have that same sense of sense of um, community. And t- to some extent, I'll actually say I mean I'm kind of jealous of that. You know, I-, I think my family is different. You know, like my immediate family and my cousins and my grand my grandmother, my mother, and you know, and that sort of thing. I mean, we're close. I mean, but I don't think as a community we have that. And I, I wonder I wonder why, number one, it, it got to be that way. And number two, why we can't allow other spaces to have their, um, you know, kind of community and be okay with it. Because, you know, for me it's jealousy for other people it becomes anger and what are they doing and are they plotting against us and all this other sort of thing. And I think that's where, you know, the power structure kind of gets itself in trouble Um, and I think that's unfortunately where white people kinda get in their feelings and also where that white fragility comes out because Mm -hmm. you wonder why don't we have that same sort of sense of community and I don't know, it's it's the age old question
3: survival. It's survival. We've been surviving. Forever. Okay. And now so you, you when you think about privilege, privilege doesn't have to survive. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm saying privilege, privilege instead of white people is because yeah. I think even if you think on a smaller scale and I'll use myself, for example, I was in the Air Force. I had a place to live and I had food to eat. I had clothes on my back. OK, that's privilege in comparison to a lot of people that I knew it. during that time I was in the military. While, while I was privileged and living in the military and having all my needs met, I didn't have to worry about if I didn't make rent. The Air Force gave me money specifically for rent. Do, do you see what I'm saying? But I've got mm-hmm. friends or family members back in Cleveland, which is where I'm from, and they may be struggling, but I was privileged. So of course, if there's any... And in in light of being privileged, when you're used to having what you need, and I'm talking about generationally, you're used to having what you need, you want to go back to where you can have what you need again. Mm -hmm. And if that means let's go back to work, that means let's go back to work. But for people who have been surviving, we look, if it came, I was talking to my sister today. I said, whatever, you know, I've never understood why somebody would work somewhere where they're mistreated. If I got to pack up my house and come live at your house, that's what I got to do because I'm not going to keep working here and you're going to disrespect me and act all crazy. We will survive, even if it means sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Truth. That's a big part of it. I don't know that. Yeah. That's a really big part of it, that idea around sacrifice versus privilege. And that's something that I I don't think that I've thought about it that way before. But I think when you're privileged, you're not willing to sacrifice as much because you're afraid of, because you've never had to sacrifice. I mean, I guess exactly. that's the answer. Right. You know, when you're privileged, you don't have to sacrifice. And when you've never sacrificed, the first time you do, it hits hard. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. And what do you mean I can't drive to the grocery store whenever I want to? So.
1: <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, I mean, for, I
0: mean, it's a joke, but I'm being for real too.
1: Yeah. It's, well, I think too, it's also a distinct lack of perspective. You know, it's when you when you are privileged, um, you know, one form of that is, you know, lacking a perspective that just because somebody else has lived a different life doesn't mean that that's not their truth. Yeah. You know, it's, and that that's one of the things that I think ha- has always irritated me. It's, you know, and just because you didn't experience that doesn't mean that that person did not, you know, and there's a distinct invalidation that comes with that. That's, that's really always unnerved me.
0: It's interesting. It's probably why people are rushing out to get guns too. Like, what do you mean you take my guns away from me? Oh my me? gosh,
1: don't get
0: started on that. Can't take my guns away from me. <laughs> not in America. Not America. <laughs> not, America. <laughs> not America. All right. So um, not to deviate completely off the subject, unless you guys want to add anything else. You said something else, Michelle, that I thought I would be a, an interesting kind of rabbit hole how about, so when you talk about your open house, right. And parents coming in and talking to you and, and being comfortable with you and Gerard, you and I, I think have talked about this a little bit before. Um, but how about, how do you think that your, your parents of color when they see you right away, do you think there's this level of like calmness that comes over them? I know. And I'll just say from my own experience, I know I have to work towards building a, a, a level of trust unless they come in already knowing like Mr. Tim's cool. But if not, if they're completely like, you know, new to me, then I have to build I, I understand now, I've learned over the years, I have to build a level of trust, especially with my parents of color, um, that, you know, that Mr. Tim is an okay guy. Like that, that I have your back. I'm I'm gonna be equitable and fair with what's going on. But do you do you guys actually feel that when you have parents of color come in, that sort of calming sensation, or I don't know. Just curious.
3: I think that it's kinda like If I went to a big conference, like if I go to an educational conference or something, I'm generally going to be one of few Black people there. So when I see another Black person, I smile, I nod my head at them. What's up, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to see them. I think that initially when you see that Black person standing there and you are not used to seeing that, yeah, yeah, I'm calm. I feel secure. I don't even have to know you. Right. I feel like we are connected. And so on that first night, actually not that night, it was a parent. It was the um, student led teacher conferences that um, one of my parents, she told me, she said, my daughter came running home that first day and said, I finally got a black teacher. Oh, Oh. And it literally made me cry because I'm in your neighborhood. You should always have a black teacher in your neighborhood where you live why don't you have a black teacher before me? You know? So yeah, I think it's calming and there are some things that we understand about each other. I already understand that black girls are kicked out of class for having sass, for dressing inappropriately. I mean, that's what's, that's what's being said, right? Yeah, that's what's I, understand being said. That. I understand that coming in. So I'm less likely to just throw you out. Now, again, all, the rest of y'all, too, that still happens with black teachers. You got some black teachers who fall into it. And I have to be careful because I could easily find myself saying, You giving me attitude? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? You giving me attitude? You can get out of my class, yeah. right? I can't just pop off because you popped off. So, Yes, the parent, I believe, felt some sense of calm and connection with me, but that doesn't um, reduce the threat, if that makes sense, because for years and years and years, we have been told certain things about ourselves. And even though I'm a Black woman, I still run the risk and I have to check myself. And one way to check myself is when I develop those relationships with those kids. When I develop those relationships, even when they pop off at me, I may take a picture and say, send it to my parent and say, look at what my child is doing right now. I do not like this. I'm not, the kid isn't in trouble, but I need you to see what they're doing right now. That's not okay. And then we'll talk about it. And now my kid is nervous because they know I've contacted their parent, but my parent knows that we're okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not kicking them out.
0: So when you said you've been told things, what what do you mean by that? By I'm, I'm assuming not your family, like by society has told you things about your Society,
3: yourself? yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just let's just read some educational journals on mm-hmm. on um how black and brown children are treated in schools. You can yeah. just pick up any book and see how females, black girls, especially once they get in middle school and high school, they are going to be disproportionately suspended. Mm-hmm. at higher rates than anybody else. Yep. And it's usually because of their attitude.
0: And also they're, treated like they're a lot older than they really yes, are. Yes. yes, Yeah. That's a big thing. I mean, yes. I've experienced that myself a lot as a middle school principal for a while. And And I've just experienced that in, in all levels. I'll just say, I'm not, you know, I'm going to just point out middle school people. I mean, it, it happens at all levels. And I've heard stories that are just heart wrenching. Like you did what to who and why? <laughs> like. So let me it.
3: explain why I said it could. I I could find myself based on what I've been taught. In my house, we did chores, we cooked, we did a lot of stuff, and I have seven sisters and a brother. And my brother is near the lower end. So when I was growing up, by seven, eight, nine years old, I was doing all kind of household chores. That's just the way we were raised. Well, when I see my girls in class, I can expect that some of my second and third graders are already learning to cook. Yes.
2: Right. Absolutely.
3: I I believe that to be true. Now on that that's just a small example of how I'm taking that little bit of what has happened in the past or even in my past or my experience and I'm projecting that out onto these children. That's not right either. But mm-hmm. think about it when it comes to um how we look at them and say, "Ooh, you're only 9, you look like you 13 or 14."
0: Mhm. Right. Especially when you say it out loud and you say yes. it over again. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yes. Or to the boys. I have had other teachers say, Isn't he in fifth or sixth grade? And I say, No, he is in the third grade. Look at his face. Don't look at his height. Look at his face. He looks like a baby. Uh-uh. He looks like a teenager. And so I and then I have to look at my young boy and say, No, you don't, sweetheart. You look like a baby. You look like you're nine years old.
2: He probably melt right in your arms then.
3: Yeah, my kids. Yeah. Cause yeah, see, i not... I'm more yeah. I'm more um, conscious of it. I pay more attention now. I have to be careful with my words and I have to make sure other people respect my kids as kids. These are children.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing I hear sometimes is, oh, they're so well-spoken.
3: Oh, goodness. Don't <laughs> even uh, <laughs> I have somebody tell me that. What, is that? what does that mean? You're so,
0: Michelle, you're so
2: well-spoken.
3: What does that mean exactly? <laughs> what do you know it right? like? <laughs> or they'll yeah. say you have a doctorate what is your doctor where did you get it from what is it in like, uh,
0: or how, first- whatever
3: it's in where's yours that's what i want to know don't come for me the where's your doctorate
0: i hear white people well, say all the then, time like hey you know gerard's good people gerard's good people. <laughs> <laughs> why, would he not, why would he not be a good person <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm glad you're a good person gerard like people say things like that in the white community and i look at him and i'm like what I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Dina, I'm sorry. I cut you off because I'm the no, interrupter. It Go just, ahead. It,
1: what, what, <laughs> what, it, it bugs me when people are like, well, you know, asking questions like, you know, well, well what's your degree? And was, I mean, are you, are you hiring me for a
3: job? Like, is that any of your business?
0: Yeah.
3: Right. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a little bit. Just ridiculous. trying
3: to find a way to minimize your accomplishment. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Well, where did you get it from? Doesn't make. Do you even have one? That's what I want to know. Speak,
2: speak, speaking 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 of minimized, and I got to bring this up. Um, <laughs> and and this is what happened to this. Is what happens to black candidates all across the country when it comes to jobs when they're when they're measured up to their white counterparts just because a black woman teacher or a black male teacher. Out of a ten-year span, they may have taught at three schools, where the, another candidate may have taught at one, and it's like, well, what? Well, what's behind the movement? Um, yeah. Most of the time, the black candidate told you in the interview what was behind the movement. And you still wondering what's behind the movement?
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you that's got, not cool. Uh, I'm very fortunate at the school that I'm at. I sought this school out actually. Um, my nephew was at another school in another town, and he was in the dual immersion program. And when I saw this school pop up, I knew that they were catering to um, children of color and they would have a um, dual immersion program. And so I went to the information sessions. I told my sister, I said, hey, we got to try to get him out here. I'll do whatever I need to, because I need him in a place where people want him, if that makes sense. It's something about being somewhere where people built that thing for you. And so I went out and sat at the info session and I listened to um, the founder talk. And I thought, not only does he need to be here, I need to be a part of this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to. I need to be a part. It was January of 2019. I said, yeah, I need to be a part of this. I went back to my job and my supervisor, um, my floor well, my section supervisor, I was talking to her and she said, Michelle, you need to do it. That's what you want to do anyway. And she was right. Everybody knew it. If you knew me, you knew it. I wanted to be in the classroom full time. And so um I said, Well, that's what I'm gonna do. And I started on that path to uh get into this school. And I wanted to be at this school because I knew what their charter was written for. I knew what their plan was. And I'm gonna tell you, there is not a day. That I am not saying I am definitely where I need to be doing this work because my leaders, my leaders are when we have our professional development, I hear people complain about PD, I love our PD sessions. Our work is not easy. Do you hear me? It's hard emotionally. It's hard mentally. It's hard physically because you always got to go pee and can't never go pee. <laughs> but that is really your
0: struggle, isn't it? That's a life.
3: That's the big struggle. Yeah. But when you sit in that professional development and they they talk to you about your families that you're serving, man, it sets a fire under you. It really you. does.
0: It's the most important work in the world. I mean, being an educator is the most important work in the world, and it doesn't matter if it's I think in K to five or six to twelve or even in the secondary. I mean, the um, higher education. It's it's what's driving everything. Education drives everything. I I think I mentioned in our little group a while ago. I you know the a guidance counselor I had my first year teaching told me you know the the one piece of advice that I've kept with me forever. He said there's never a bad conversation you have around a kid. And I just thought to myself, wow, that just makes a lot of sense. And then you follow that up with the only conversations that we should have at school is about kids. Like, so kind of implying like content and pedagogy, those things are really, really important, but we need to have the conversation about our kids first and what they mean to us. And then we can get in the conversations about pedagogy and content and everything else. So that's that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Doug, I like when you brought that up. That really made me think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it keeps it all in perspective. I mean, because I sometimes, I go, you know, and I've been in many conversations with educators, and they they, they deviate off of, like, why did you want to work here? Well, it was closer to my house. Like, really? Like, Someone said that? <laughs> like, like, you want to work here because it's closer to your house? Uh, okay, how about another reason? You know, like, they give those reasons. Like, so I have summers off. I'm like, uh, I mean, like, those really aren't really good reasons to be in education. But, okay. like, and at the time, I didn't even know how to respond to those people. Nowadays, you know, I kind of am more, you know, a little bit more, you know, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, because of gas money? Like, I mean, what's going on here? It's ridiculous. All right. Hey, um, we didn't answer any of the questions that we had in our group before, but that's okay. I think this was a great conversation. Um, we did. We did. <laughs> I know. <I'm> kind of. <laughs> you got anything more for Michelle? I mean, we're about 42 minutes. This is about our limit usually. What do you guys think? Anything else you want to share?
1: Uh, I'd actually like um, Michelle to talk a little bit about, because she's got a great attitude about, you know, kind of um, embracing what has become this quote unquote new normal for us and really has taken some, some of the technology and kind of adapted. So I really like her to speak to that because I think that there's, I found your discussion around what you were doing, even though I'm doing some of the same things, to be really inspiring. And I feel like other people would as well. So if you don't mind, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit.
3: Oh, sure. You know, we handed out packets. So academically speaking, um, we're not teaching new material. We just handed out these packets of review material. And I chose my review material based on the needs of my students and what I would consider to be fundamental and essential for progress, like to the fourth and then to the third for my second graders. And so what I really was most um, hmm, most interested in was maintaining our social uh, relationship because me and my kids, we sit down all the time on the carpet. We'll go to the carpet in a heartbeat over anything. And we have real communication and real chit chat. And we hang out a lot. We play a lot. Um, we do a lot of group work, so that's why I decided to Zoom. And in our Zoom sessions, um, we'll do fun math fact fluency stuff. I will have them do read around. You know, where they'll everybody will read. I still do read alouds for them, and I give them questions because I want them to think and I want them to hear fluency. You know, reading, hearing someone else read definitely helps your fluency as well. And then um, we use Flipgrid a lot. Um, we have a couple of topics on there for the kids, but. I think what's really important for me, as I reflect on my engagement with them, is that I am seeing them in a whole different light. They are so creative. I already knew they were creative, but I'm really getting to see it because I'll task them with a science experiment or some kind of challenge, like we're doing the gum boot dance challenge from South Africa, and um, we had a science experience, experiment challenge, and now we're going to do a poetry slam because it's April, right? In this National uh, Poetry Month,
0: so how has it pushed you professionally? Then, well, like you're, you're 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 creative too. Not only are they creative, you're getting to be more creative.
3: I'm, I think I am. I think what it is. Let me explain what I think it really is. I feel like I've been creative because I've always been in a creative space. Like I went to a performing arts school. Even in college, I was performing. I still sing, and. I think what it has allowed me to do is to feel okay about it and introducing introducing it and opening it up in my class. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I've got the stamp of approval now to just get crazy with it because there are no boundaries. Not that anybody put me in the box, but I don't know. I didn't know what is this supposed to look like in a brick-and-mortar school with second and third mm. graders. What does that look like? I have no idea. But now look, next year ain't ready for me because we really, uh, and and what I love is that even when we did our winner's project, it was a project-based learning experience. Even then, my kids did dances. We sang songs. My whole class is artistic. Um, So I don't know. I think now sitting here, you know, and like you were talking about the commute to my new, my new commute, Oh, don't you know, worry. That's, rolling over the last, and... that's my
0: last question. Don't give it away. That's my last question. <laughs> We're all going to talk about that.
3: <laughs> but, but, but having this time, I've had to come up with ways to keep my kids engaged and to challenge them all in the same breath. So it has helped me to feel OK about it. It has given me more confidence in um, using these different tactics, if you will.
0: So you're really taking advantage of this time, then, I guess, is what you're saying. I am. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's awesome. Dina, you talk a lot about that, too, about how you've been able to take advantage of this time and grow professionally. And Gerard, as well. I mean, it has been. I mean, the growth that I've just with myself has been awesome. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add to that, what you've been able to do lately. But
1: it's i i think a lot of what it the the big eye opening thing for me that i'm definitely going to be integrating in more and i've seen i've seen teachers do this in different ways i know M- moni syri does like smiles and frowns um, but i started integrating in um, a check-in form with my students that i have found to be really helpful and so it's just it's just a google form and um, i've adapted that um, each, emotional each, check-in Um, it's, it covers several things It covers the emotional piece. It covers, um, you know, how are you feeling about everything? You know, are you, uh, how are you feeling about things going on with you personally? How are you feeling about the amount of work that you have? Is there anything that you want your teachers to know about what you might be struggling with? And, um, you know, just, it covers a variety of things. And then, um, this, this coming week's form, I also added in a recommend something for me. You know, All it's right. like something, something that you enjoy, feel passionate about, like recommend it for me. You know, if there's a, a YouTube influencer that you want me to check out, like recommend oh, something for yeah. me. That's um, cool. so yeah, I started doing that and I, uh, like the, the data that I get off of that, like, I don't know that I would, I, I don't know that I have done anything that has been as valuable as what that is giving me.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Imagine if you do that next year with your kids and you see every day and you're like, Oh, I checked out that YouTuber and then the conversation, the relationships you can build from that. That is really cool.
1: Well, and I was joking around with um,
0: every episode. I steal something. I'm stealing that.
1: (laughs) Well, I was joking around with my, my husband yesterday when we were out, you know, we, we had to to do our our run to get groceries and on the way home, I was like, you know, I actually kind of like post Malone. (laughs) <laughs> and he, um, yeah. he kind of he kind of looked at me and he was laughing a little bit. And I said, you know, I didn't even know who Post Malone was until my students were like, I, I was like, give me some, give me some like, you know, song recommendations. And this is the beginning of last school year. And, you know, every, they had almost on every single form, almost every kid put down Post Malone. And I was like, who the heck is Post Malone? And then cool. I found out. And so, yeah, if it wasn't for my students, I would have no idea who Post Malone is.
0: <laughs> I'll say, you, Gerard, you got anything that you've been learning over the past week or two? I mean, I got one thing, but you got something? My, you man,
2: my life's been tickled over by TikTok, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I, I, got, I got I got seven, six, seven and six grade daughters, so we're like just waiting
0: for your viral video to come out. I'm
3: trying oh. to tell you, we haven't seen it. Where's
2: I'm a, video? I am have to come out with something.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon, right. Michelle, we might need you full-time because Gerard's going to be getting famous.
3: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be tiktok No.
0: <laughs> <out of> here. <laughs>
3: like
0: TikTok, time's done.
1: <laughs> um,
2: yeah. I, I, I wanna be I wanna be like LeBron and his family because he's all <laughs> him and his family always dropping some hot TikToks.
3: What?
2: Yes. LeBron oh, is always on there with his kids. That's oh,
3: funny. that's nice. That's I gotta cool. Check
0: that out. Is that on Instagram? Where is that? On
2: no, Twitter? Or? Um his, like his uh his team James family. Um they'll have it from TikTok and it'll be on his Instagram too. All
0: right. My daughters are on TikTok. I got to get back into TikTok. So, yeah,
3: you're, and you you got the moves for it, Doug. Oh, please. Yeah, gotta, yeah. yeah.
0: We're back right now. <laughs> but long story short, the one thing I've learned, though, and, and this has been the, the part that I really have enjoyed, is how do I, what are my methods of communication, not only to my staff, but also my parents when I can't talk to them? So like, how strong are those methods of communication that I've been using? And do they work? And the other part that I really love that I talked to my staff today about, like, we need to fail fast. Like we realized today with our kindergarten, like what we tried didn't work. And we're gonna adjust like for tomorrow. Cause like we failed today miserably. And like tomorrow's gonna be an adjustment. And that's awesome. Like it's awesome to be able to fail, have no like quote unquote repercussions, because again, it's all new, right? So the accountability it's a little bit out the window. I mean, the accountability is you have to show up and be there and be a part of it. And accountability is really to yourself to give yourself feedback, but the accountability doesn't hurt necessarily because tomorrow we're going to try something different. We'll see if it works. And if it doesn't, guess what? Wednesday, we're going to try something different again. We'll figure it out. And I think that's the beauty for me has been this whole problem solving approach to how do we solve these problems that we don't have the answers to because we've never done it before. And I really enjoy that on a daily, especially today. Today was just problem solving. One after another, and it was just so. To me, it just gave me new life again um, to be a leader in a building. and It was just a lot of fun. Um, I, well, it was hard work, but it was also fun.
1: It's um, you know, it's interesting you say that, Doug, because I'm I'm in the process of listening to um, Brene Brown's book Dare to Lead, and one of the things that she points out, and it, this is I've heard her say this more than one time, but she talks about how you know there is no innovation if the thing that you are scared of prevents you from moving forward. You know, it's like you have to, you, you have to to some degree, if you want to be innovative, you cannot have this inherent fear of failure and let that dictate everything. Um, and so one of the things I'm hoping I, I hope comes out of all of this that we are all dealing with right now is that there will be very innovative things. Cause you know that somewhere there are kids at home right now that are inventing things. With this oh, yeah. time, um, and if and if we don't have strong inventions come out of this time, I don't. You know, I'm like, what else? What else? What positive? You know, thing can come out of it, and that would be for me the positive thing that would come out of all of this.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, anybody else got anything before? I got the, the last question. You know, it's we got to talk about our commutes now that we're in the uh, times that we are now. My yeah. commute, I got a very, I got a system down. It's real. It's real efficient. You guys, can I go first? Can I go first. Yeah,
3: sure. All right. sure.
0: So generally, my wife wakes up first because she runs early in the morning, and I'll kind of snooze around for a little bit, and then I pop out of bed right. And it's brush teeth first, contact second, pajamas, whatever else I'm wearing. It's just straight down to the basement. It takes me. I'm on. I'm on like two minutes, maybe 39 seconds. I clocked myself this morning, but if I have an eight o'clock Zoom or an eight thirty Zoom, I can be. In bed at seven fifty-five, and make my eight o'clock Zoom. I'm telling you, my hair looks all right because I don't have much hair to begin with. I mean, I'm bald. So, but I have a sweatshirt hoodie on, and I'm I'm like pajamas, and I'm there. Teeth are brushed. I mean, I'm looking. My face looks all right. But yeah, seven fifty-five. I can be at eight o'clock Zoom, no problem, and be looking fresh as I need to be. Anybody got a story like that? I don't know how long. Do you I take? don't
3: think anybody has a story like that. I don't have a story like that. <laughs> no, uh, that's five minutes, Doug. I need a little longer than five minutes. I mean, sometimes my
0: daughters will be like, "Can I get some muffins?" So I'll run to the cabinet. I mean, I do get, I do get hijacked sometimes by their needs. So I'll, I'll throw an orange. I'll, I'll do a couple apple slices if I need to on the way down there, but yeah, I'm telling you, five minutes. Oh, I can apple, slices. Sure. <laughs> apple slices. No, <laughs> not with him. no problem. Oh, five God. minutes. <laughs> You don't want me to
3: start Clearly, wow, I don't know if you're taking long enough brushing those teeth though.
0: <laughs> I thought it was like washing your hands 20 seconds. No, <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Not in the black house, <laughs> oh, you,
3: better be in there. you better be in there for your whole life. <laughs> I'm talking about 20 seconds, Gerard. You floss, is that what you just said?
2: So. No, I said not in the black house. <laughs>
3: yeah. oh, you better be in there longer than that, brushing that tongue, get it all. You brush your tongue. Yeah, you better do something with it. Doug. I've <laughs> yeah. brush
0: never brushed my time before. Oh, unless God. it was really good. Oh, man. It's a CMI. Are we still recording? I got it to end this. You are. <laughs> All right, y'all. Is there anything else you guys want to throw out there about your commute or anything in general? Because we're going to end it here in a minute. I don't
3: <laughs> know this how I would just... follow that. I
1: don't know how I would follow that.
0: All right, so Doug learned to brush his tongue tonight. Thank you. <laughs> you know, when you have serious issues, like Dina says, when you have a serious issue, you go to a black person for some help. <laughs> <There
3: you go.
0: laughs> <You're just crazy. laughs> my tongue is getting so fresh, so clean tomorrow my morning, you have
2: no idea. Look, Doug will be going to a Zoom, meeting, listening to some outcasts, so fresh, <laughs> so clean.
3: <laughs> so fresh, so clean, clean. <laughs>
0: I'll be sticking my tongue out. Look at my tongue. (laughs) Outcast. (laughs) Oh, bitches. All right. Are we ending this on that note? I think on that note. All (laughs) All right. This is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. 15
1: years into education now. You know, what can I do? create
0: this equitable space and like you know what and especially for those students um, that look
2: like me and that came from uh, my community i wanted to be an influencer for them like for young people
0: connect with more people whose mindset and goals all
3: right this is speaking educationally with uh doug dina and gerard